You're listening to audio from Restoration Church. If you enjoyed the message and would like to get connected with our church, follow us on social media at Restoration Cambridge and our website, restoration-church.ca. Send us a message. We would love to hear from you. Uh, Grab a Bible, um, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 20. So I'm just going to read that passage first. So Luke chapter 20, verse 19 to 26. Luke twenty nineteen to 26 says this. The scribes and the chief, fair, chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour. For they perceived that he told this parable against them, but they feared the people. Then this is really the passage in verse 20. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality. It's funny that that's actually true, but they were just doing it to pump his tires. But truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? I'll explain that in a second. But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, show me a denarius, which is just a Roman coin, whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said, but marveling at his answer, they became silent. (laughs) This past week, um, the world was captivated by a single interview hosted by Oprah Winfrey, Uh, with Megan and Harry on the other side, uh, giving their account of their mistreatment and um, uh, just their experience as growing up or being a part of the royal family. And the world was in shock at some of the things that they were hearing. Nikki and I watched this interview because everyone was talking about it, so we thought we'd watch it. And of course, we watched The Crown, so even though that's fiction, we we were interested. And we also know people who really follow the royal family, and, and, you know, it's kind of a part of what they do. They follow it. Uh, What was shocking to me, or really interesting to me, was the fact that everyone heard the same interview, but everyone came to radically different conclusions, right? It's the same interview. It's not like they dubbed different voices over or had different answers or had like part one, part two, part three and gave differing accounts of what had happened. They heard the same interview and the same experience shared by Megan and Harry and everyone, talk show hosts. There were news networks that were fighting and walking off set and being fired from new, like everyone had such different accounts or uh interpretations of what is actually going on. Are you on the side of Meghan and Harry or are you on the side of the Royals? Same interview, but radically, radically different interpretations and opinions of what actually transpired. It's fascinating. And we said last week that Sometimes we are guilty of oversimplifying uh, 
our opinions. And that we force people to choose a side between you're either on this side or this side. And most of the time, we don't leave room for nuance, and most of the time, issues are much more complex than we give them credit for. And just like that interview, likely the whole situation is far more complex than most people were making it out to be. It's not as simple as, are you on the royal side or are you on Meghan and Harry's side? There's far more nuance and experience and complexity than we probably think, they, than we, than we probably think that there actually is. The issue we're going to talk about this morning is, is how we as Christians, those who are a part of the kingdom of God, which I will explain because I think it's important we understand what that is, how we relate to our governing authorities. Those who are under a different authority, namely God, how we relate to and behave in, uh, in governing authorities that are temporary in this world, we might call the kingdom of earth. And that's been fireworks this year, especially with COVID. So I want to handle this humbly, and likely I won't even scratch the itch that you're looking for. Because like a lot of issues, uh, it's far more complex than just a simple answer. Here's your principle to live by. It's far more complex than that. Jesus, actually, in our passage that I just read, uh, he walks into a situation that was tenuous, uh, where people were trying to force him to pick a side to simplify uh, to simplify a situation and force him to pick a side. So as we get into this, I think it's important that we pray and just be open to what what is the spirit telling us through through God's word, through the example of Jesus this morning. So would you would you pray with me as we get into this? God in heaven, thank you so much for your word that it speaks to us even still today, even though this was written 2,000 years ago, how it's so relevant for us as believers today. God, we, um, we understand that there's some mystery that we hold to, and, and so we want to be humble as we approach your word. But we also want to be we 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 also want to be convicted by the things that we hear that you're telling us. So God, would would you guide us in wisdom, and truth, and love this morning as we seek to live out the kingdom of God here in this earth? Spirit, speak through me now. We pray for all these things in your name, Amen. As I said today, it's. It, it is a tenuous topic, and there's far more complexity in our, that our citizenship simply is in two different places. And how do we hold that tension when there is tension that arises th- for things such as COVID? In our passage, Jesus has, Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem. We didn't look at everything, unfortunately. When you go through a series like Luke, when you're going through the book of Luke, you can't cover everything or else it would take us a long, long time because there's a lot in the book of Luke. And so Jesus, though, has been traveling the countryside Uh, last week. uh, He was in Jericho. He's in in Jerusalem just a week before 
uh, his, his, his crucifixion. So this is the Passion Week, and especially as we're leading up into Easter, these are the happenings that happened in Jerusalem just before his crucifixion. And as you, as you saw in verse 19, there were the, uh, the scribes, the chief priests who sought to kill him. They sought to arrest him or lay hands on him. <laughs> but he's popular, what just happened before was his 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 uh, his his entrance into Jerusalem, where people are waving palm branches, and he's he has a certain level of popularity, and so they knew if they arrested him, this is not going to look good on them. So they had to wait, but they come up with a really clever plan, and to give them a lot of credit, it's a really clever plan. It says in verse twenty, it says that they sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor, which was the Roman Empire at the time. And they ask him, teacher, we know you speak and teach rightly, which is true, and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Again, that's true, but it's lawf- is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? What you have to understand in this situation and, and what uh, all, all, of, all of the things that, that, that go into this, this question, because this question there's a lot of tension in this question. Do we pay tribute to Caesar or not? What you need to understand that in that day, Jerusalem was like a cultural pressure cooker and the heat was turning up more and more and more and more. And you may feel that in the West, especially where we're in this cultural pressure cooker and the heat gets, keeps getting turned up higher and higher and higher. And that's what was experienced in the city of Jerusalem. There was a cult, it was a cultural pressure cooker that was heating up that dates back to Roman rule, which Rome, Rome, Rome uh, 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 overthrew their government in 6 AD. It came under Roman rule in 6 AD, so just a number of years ago. And, and in that time, remember in Jesus' birth, they instituted a census. So everyone was, everyone was, was, was to be, go to their hometown and to be taken in a census. And not only that, they were to pay a tax called a poll tax, or in this, a tribute. And basically that tax, get this, sometimes you might hate your taxes, your income taxes or your property taxes or your gas bill, whatever, whatever you hate in your taxes. The poll tax or the tribute was a tax really just for the privilege of existing. Like you had to pay because Rome was over you and here's your tax just for existing under Roman rule. You get nothing out of it, but this is, we're going to tax you just because you exist under Roman rule. As you can imagine... The Jewish people, uh, they didn't like the tax. And it was a symbol. The census and this tribute, they were symbols of submission to an ungodly empire. Like an empire that, that could care less about their traditions. An empire that could care less about their values. Uh, they could carry it less about the worship of Yahweh, and now they were to take a census where now the government knows everything about you and now take a tax, part of your hard-earned money, just for the privilege of, because Rome conquered you. Not everyone's going to like that. It's a symbol of submission. Because of that, 
here's your history lesson. I love history. So you, you got to understand kind of where, what, what is behind uh, this question. Because of that, guys, there was a man named Judas, the Galilean, who led an uprising, came out of the land of Galilee, led an uprising, encouraging people not to take the tent, not to register for a census, and not to pay the tax. Like, we are going to defy the Roman government because it was a symbol of their own submission. What even, what even uh, bred into this was a denarius, a Roman coin, had, of course, the picture of Tiberius, who was Caesar. <laughs> and the inscription said, Caesar, the son of God, on the coin. I mean, of course, to them, that was idolatrous. The son of God? Caesar? And Jesus, like, that's idolatrous to us. Like, that, that's, that's blasphemy. Like, Caesar is not the son of God. And yet, that's what it read. That's what Tiberius believed himself to be. I'm the son of God. And, mo- and many pious Jews actually wouldn't even use it. Judas the Galilean chose a motto, which was this. No king but God. And that motto grew and grew and grew and those uprisings grew and that momentum grew and grew and grew to now where Jesus walks the earth a number of years later in Jerusalem where it's a pressure, a cultural pressure cooker between Roman rule and Jewish tradition. Movements like Judas the Galilean led to groups such as the Zealots who openly were rebellious against Rome. And they gained more and more momentum. This is a whole other story till it led to a revolt closer to AD 70, a number of years after Jesus' crucifixion. But they grew in so much power and momentum that they, they, they sought to actually defy the Roman Empire and, 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 and they actually battled against them, the city of Jerusalem. Of course, the Roman Empire was really strong, so it led to Jerusalem's destruction in AD 70 under General Titus. So it kind of backfired on them. But Jesus is in a cultural pressure cooker here. And that's the brilliance of, of this plan. It was like, this question was, should we pay the tribute that no one wants to pay? It was a brilliant p- plan to actually force Jesus to choose a side. Like, whose side are you on here? Because... If Jesus says, no, you don't pay the tribute. It's a blasphemous coin. Don't pay the tribute. Then all of a sudden, Jesus is a threat to the Roman government. And then these people that didn't like Jesus, let the Romans kill him. So now he's a threat. On the other side, if he says, yes, you got to pay it, you are under Rome, well, then now he looks like a traitor to the Jewish people because no one wanted to pay it to this ungodly empire. It was a brilliant plan. Like either he loses, either he's a threat to Roman government or he loses his influence in the Jewish crowd. It's like a lose-lose situation. Have you ever been on social media where someone asks you a question and they're forcing you to take a side and you're like, this is a lose-lose situation. No matter what I say, I'm losing. That's kind of the situation Jesus finds himself in. (laughs) 
man, talk about living intention. And in our day, we, we face the same things where these cultural tensions where it's like, no matter how I answer this question, I'm going to lose. I'm going to be a critic, like someone's going to criticize it. It's the exact same situation that Jesus finds himself in. It's a brilliant plan. So what does Jesus say? Verse 23. It says he perceives their craftiness. So Jesus sees right through the plan. And says to them, show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said Caesar's. So he said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they weren't able in the presence of the people to catch in what he said, but marveling at his answer, they became silent. So they're actually like just silenced and dumbfounded by his answer. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. There's a lot packed into a very little statement there. (laughs) And as I said before, I might not scratch all of the itches that you have about, you know, how this all works out. And I don't think that's my job right now to give you, you know, exact answers how you are to move forward. But there are some principles we can learn from this, some, some hard truths that we need to learn. Start this. What this does not mean. Firstly, Jesus is not saying to be apolitical. Don't care in politics at all. Don't even, don't even get involved in government. Don't seek government. Like, he's not saying to be apolitical, to separate ourselves so much from, actually, from, from actual culture. I don't believe that's what Jesus is saying. As if you have compartmentalized parts of life. These parts are for the kingdom of earth. These parts are for the kingdom of heaven. As if there's some parts of your life that are sacred and there's some parts of your life that are secular, that you give to God. I don't think that's what he's saying. In fact, there are many Christians throughout history that chose not to be apolitical. And man, who am I to say that, that, that God would not have been pleased with their movement, a William Wilberforce who went into politics instead of being a pastor and helped bring about the abolition of the slave trade in the, in the British Empire. I mean, who am I to say that God, Jesus, Jesus told him that yeah, he shouldn't have been involved in politics? You know, Martin Luther King, who many pastors in the South told him, don't get involved in politics. Let them figure it out in the court. Don't walk the street. Don't protest. I don't think it I don't think I as a Christian should look at Martin Luther King as another Christian and say, Yeah, you shouldn't have protested for civil rights. I don't believe Jesus is saying to be apolitical, to be not to not care or not be involved in government whatsoever. The other thing that I don't think this is saying either is this that the two are one and the same. In our, in our vernacular, church and state are the same thing. I don't think Jesus is saying that. Or in another word, what is, what is a theonomy, which is a divine rule in a pluralistic world. Like we are going to institute our, our ethic, our rules, so everyone must follow them because this is for the good of all of society. I don't believe that's what Jesus is saying. There's, it doesn't take long to see many bad examples of governments seeking to Christianize their nation 
to people that didn't want it. And it never ends well. Guys, people are brought to faith by conviction, not coercion. While we may advocate for values of the common good for all people, and I mean, one of the amazing things about going for, through Proverbs is that this isn't just for Christians. This, this is good advice for the common good of anyone, not just Christians. How you speak, how you relate to people, this is, this is for the common good of all people. While we may advocate for values, we can't wield a Christian sword in government. When people do not wish to belong to God, the crazy thing is that God actually allows them to refuse him. Now, they're held responsible to it, but he actually allows them to refuse it. So what is Jesus saying? In a nutshell, there goes that weird alarm that always distracts me every time. I think Jesus is saying this, that right now in our fallen world, we're citizens of two kingdoms. For the Jews at that time, they were citizens of the reign of Caesar, but also citizens of a greater kingdom called the kingdom of God. And we're actually called to be loyal to both of them. In fact, these two kingdoms are not antithetical. I'm not talking about the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. I'm talking about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth. We're not, they're not antithetical to one another. In fact, your submission to an earthly kingdom is actually submission to the kingdom of God, as Romans 13 says, be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority but God. They've actually been instituted or ordained by God. And not, guys, not just when your ticket is the one that got voted in. That they're actually instituted and ordained by God to be over us. Even if you don't like them. I mean, we're talking about Caesar named Tiberius at that time. First Peter chapter 2 is another example of this where it says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. I mean, the crazy thing, the irony about First Peter is that it talks about persecution and how, how the governing authorities were actually persecuting them. And then Peter says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. It's kind of a crazy command. And yet, we are told the principle is that your submission to an earthly kingdom is actually submission to the kingdom of God. They are not held antithetical to one another. Because when they handed that denarius over to Jesus, often, and still today, currency was the symbol of your submission, of the earthly kingdom that was over you, that you were held responsible to. And so his image, Caesar's image, was proof to them of who you actually are now submitting to, whether you like it or not. I guess what we can gain from this is I don't have a ton of answers. I'm not done, by the way. Christians are actually to be the best citizens of an earthly kingdom that we could possibly be. Christians are called to be the best citizens and to pray, as it says in in Timothy, to pray for those who are over us, for the rulers and authorities of our world, and submit to them. Is that what Christians are known for? To be the best citizens of even this earthly kingdom, even if we don't like it. First Peter also says, by doing good, you put critics 
to silence by doing good to those who are over us. Of course, there's a balance here. That render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. That there's another kingdom, a greater one. I think it's important that we, we've talked about this before, but that we always have this in the front of our mind. Luke 4, 43, as Jesus is beginning his public ministry, he says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. So the good news, the gospel, is the gospel of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For this reason, I was sent. Jesus came to this earth to bring the kingdom of God here to us. At his birth, if you remember this, at his birth, when the angels are gathering, and it says there's a host of angels singing toward the shepherds. We always think of this as like a, a, a chorus of angels singing like a choir, but actually it was an army of angels that when the king was born into the earth, it was a declaration against the kingdom of darkness that the king has arrived and he's brought his kingdom here to earth. Here's what I believe the kingdom is. It's the restoration of all things. Like, this is what the world is supposed to look like. This is how humanity is supposed to act. And so when Jesus does healings and miracles, casting out demons, those are actually manifestations of the kingdom of God here on breaking into the kingdom of earth. They're the way things are supposed to be. Ultimately, that is sealed by the resurrection of Jesus, that there's ultimate victory over the kingdom of darkness. So what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Well, here's, I want to say this humbly. I don't think it means to be a Christian that you pray to prayer sometime in summer camp when you were five years old and has nothing to do with you anymore. That's not what being a Christian is. Like, I, I just don't see that in the Bible. Being a Christian is faith and submission in Jesus as your king. It's those who have submitted themselves to the reign of Jesus and who are now experiencing the kingdom of God here on earth. Like That's what it means to be a Christian. One who recognizes Jesus as king, who are called out of your national boundaries. It doesn't mean the United States of America is not the kingdom of God. Canada is not the kingdom of God. It's the people who express faith and who have now submitted to Jesus as their king who are now a part of the kingdom of God. And here's the cool part. That by your faith and your conduct, just as that coin bore the image of Caesar that indicated submission to him in this earthly kingdom. It's your faith and your conduct. It's that restored image of God in you indicating your submission to him. And so when people look at you and they see a manifestation of the kingdom, this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. This is what humanity was always created for. They see just like they saw, they saw on that denarius coin, they see in you the image of God. And it indicates your submission to him, that you're a part of his kingdom. What the world sees in your life is who you are submitted to. 
So we're citizens of both kingdoms. And we're to be loyal to both. Now, there's a limit, of course. And I'm not appealing to extreme quietism where it's like we never speak out against, against this earthly kingdom. No, in no way I'm appealing to that. In fact, Luke's second volume known as the Book of Acts in the Bible, there are instances of Christians and church leaders who said we, we cannot obey the kingdom, the governing authorities that are over us because we are loyal first to the kingdom of God. And so there's a limit. And there will be occasions, guys. Here's kind of the heavy weight. There are going to be occasions in our life when your loyalty to, as a citizen of God, must be paramount to all other loyalties that we hold to. When those two loyalties start to have tension, when there is friction between them, we can't get away from that. Our loyalty to the kingdom of God is paramount to all other loyalties in this world. In fact, part of what we're doing with Secret Church is indicating Christians who have been persecuted because they've chose to hold loyal their, their citizenship of the kingdom of God as paramount to everything else. That just being in, in existence as a Christian, they can't deny Jesus. And they're persecuted for it. And guys, it's very clear that as Christians, if our first loyalty is to, toward our King, Jesus, that if there comes a day where, where our governing authorities say, you cannot proclaim the name of Jesus, that's a command we cannot obey. We cannot obey that command. So there are clear there are clear limits to our submission to governing authority. There are other ways that aren't so clear. And I just have to humbly say that are guided by our own convictions. And I think we might have to seek to understand and guard ourselves against the arrogance of oversimplifying other people's opinions and the need for a balance between what is necessary in the Christian life. I would give this warning that often what we see is is not just uh, because there's a loyalty to the kingdom of God, there's disobedience, that if there's a pattern of continual railing and disrespect against our culture and our government. It's pretty clear, guys, we're not supposed to be against our culture. Like, there are things, there are values that we can speak against, but we're not supposed to be against. We actually do submit to and respect. Nor are we the same. We're not to be against our culture, nor are we the same. And I'm going to end with this. As Christians and as a church... We're a model of a restored world. Where loving God and loving neighbor is true. So we, we can appeal to the government to change things, but here's where it's got to start with us. The world actually needs to see in the church where racism doesn't exist. The world needs to see in the church where we don't hold, where we hold, where we're par- like where there's no partiality, 
The world needs to see in the church what it looks like to actually love your neighbor as yourself. We're a model of what it looks like to have a restored world here and now of what is to come in the future. Let me pray. God in heaven, thank you so much for your word and that speaks to us. God, I pray that you would give us wisdom and humility that as we submit to you ultimately by submitting to those who are over us in government, that you would give us wisdom about how to how to navigate that. That we wouldn't do it out of a rebellious spirit, but that we would do it out of a, a genuine loyalty to the kingdom of God first in our life. God, I right now pray for those around the world who are persecuted, who have just for the simple fact of proclaiming the name of Jesus, who can't deny the name of Jesus, are being killed, are being hurt, are being persecuted for the name. Lord, thank you for their example. Thank you for their loyalty to the king first. God, I also pray for us as a church that we would, and and as families, that we would model what it looks like to have a restored world here, here and now. What it looks like to actually love you and love our neighbor. That the world would be able to look at us and say, man, I want to be a part of that. I want to know this God that they know. Lord, let us be a model to to our community around us of what you can do in lives. Lord, I also forgive me for, for quick judgment. For my arrogance. For my own pride. I just kind of assume I'm always right and that my opinion is always right. Forgive me for my pride and my arrogance. Yeah. Let's pray for all these things in your great name.